to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits and poultry all featured. Additional information such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. Today we will be joined by Alicia King, Amy Vanderhyde, and Carolyn Vanden Heuvel to discuss why it's important to be a leader engaged in the ag industry. Alicia is a seventh generation beef, sheep, and ag farmer, farming alongside her husband and their four children. She graduated from the Nova Scotia Agricultural College with a major in animal science and double minor in ag business and environmental biology. Alicia has previously served on such boards as the Nova Scotia Young Farmers, Canadian Young Farmers, as well as the Nova Scotia Cattle Producers and Maritime Beef Council, as well as the Nova Scotia 4-H Market Committee. She currently serves on the Nova Scotia Federation of Agriculture and Antigonish Guysboro Federation of Agricultural Boards, as well as the Verified Beef Production Plus Management Committee. Amy calls the beautiful and diverse landscape of the Annapolis Valley, Nova Scotia home, where she farms full-time with her husband, James, and in-laws in their poultry and crop farm. She and James also own a small cow-calf herd on the side. They have three sons, ages 6, 8, and 12, who can usually be found tagging along with one of their parents on the farm. Amy is active in the ag industry. She is a 4-H leader, a director with the Kings County Federation of Agriculture and Do More Ag Foundation. She is also current president of the Chicken Producers Association of Nova Scotia. Carolyn is the incoming executive director of the Nova Scotia Federation of Agriculture. She grew up on a beef farm outside of Antigonish and attended the Nova Scotia Agricultural College, graduating in 2010 with a Bachelor of Science in Agriculture. Carolyn officially started with the Federation in 2013. However, she began working in the office in 2012 on a joint project with the Nova Scotia Federation of Agriculture and Canadian Agricultural Safety Association after spending a few years working on dairy farms. Growing up on a farm, Carolyn always had a passion for agriculture. While studying at the AC, she knew one thing. She wanted to work in the agricultural industry at the producer level in a capacity that helped the industry progress. Carolyn feels that her work with the NSFA does just that and fulfills her desires to support the industry in an ever-changing environment. All right, so today we have Carolyn Vandenhuvel, Alicia King, and Amy Vanderhyde with us. Thanks for being with us today, ladies. Thanks for having us. I'll start with you, Alicia. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of who you are and who Six Maples Farm is and what you do and why you do it? Uh, well, Six Maples Farm is a seventh generation farm here in Anaganesh, Nova Scotia. We raise beef cattle, sheep, and we've got laying hens as well. So I farm alongside my husband and our children with lots of extra help from in-laws and my own parents. Carolyn, how about you? Hi, everybody. I'm Carolyn Vanderhoeble, and I am the incoming executive director for the Nova Scotia Federation of Agriculture. So a bit of a different perspective than Alicia and Amy today, but also able to take part working with the industry in a really exciting organization. So as a Federation of Agriculture, we're responsible for representing the farmers across Nova Scotia, and we have the opportunity to get to know folks like Alicia and Amy and really gain an understanding of their businesses and what we can do to support our farmers in, in being successful now and in the future to come. 
guess a bit about me. I, I do come from an ag background. I grew up on a beef farm just outside Anaganish. I'm in, in Toronto now and attended the AC and happy to have had the opportunity to stay working in the industry here in Nova Scotia. And Amy, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your farm and your farm family there in the valley. Sure. I am in Colebrook, Nova Scotia, so a little bit further away than Carolyn and Alicia are to each other. We're a poultry farm and crop farm, and we do some foraging as well. Uh, and my husband and I also own a cow-calf herd on the side. That's a separate farm that we own on our own. Uh, the poultry side, we farm with my in-laws and our three sons. Thanks. So one of the things I, I really want to talk a little bit about today is your, your role in the industries that you've taken at the provincial association level and why you've done that. So, you know, historically, I, Carolyn and I were just chatting a few minutes before the, we started recording the podcast and, and talking about women's role in especially ag organizations over time. And I think there, there have been a lot of women leaders, maybe at, not at the top level, uh, but definitely a lot of female influence, I know, here in the office over the last 15 years that I've been here. So, Carolyn, maybe start us off and talk about some of the things you see about females taking leadership roles in organizations like the Federation. So we definitely have seen for, for a long time now that we have more engagement from women in industry associations, which is really exciting to see. And we see uh, different types of leadership in different areas of the industry as well. So whether we're looking at it from an organizational perspective or we're looking at it from an on-farm perspective, there's, there's no denying how involved women have been over the years. In terms of organization, I will say that we're only more recently seeing some gender parity around our boards. I'd say that's really an area that we still don't see as much involvement from women as we'd like to see. And, and for us at the Federation, we are lucky enough to have Alicia on our council as well. And that's something we have continued to try to ensure that we do have that, that gender parity around the table. In terms of leadership roles in the staff side of the organization, we have seen a number of organizations throughout the industry and our commodity organizations really having females uh, at the top leading those organizations, which has been positive to see that change over the last few years, but always continuing to work to ensure that we also have women to continue to be at the decision-making table as well. Yeah, I know in my work with the cattle producers over the past, we've been lucky to have females, a lot of actually female interaction on the board on both the, the cattle and the sheep side. And uh, we were lucky to have uh, Alicia on our board for a few years as well. So Alicia, maybe, and, and Amy, you as well on this topic, you know, talk about what it's like to be a female sitting at a board table that are primarily populated by men. I guess basically role in industry and where I've sat. I mean, I guess it kind of started many, many years ago back in my 4-H career. I mean, that's, that's where I find a lot of this begins. And I've gone my ways up through, through Young Farmers and, and now onto the Federation, as well as Brad had said, I, was, I sat on the Cattle Producers Board, as well as on some national boards too. And there's been a lot of times where I was probably the only female around the table, but I know there was a lot of females before me that sat around those tables too. The biggest thing that I look at is the need to build the future. I've got two daughters and they have seen me do pretty well everything that needs to be done. And, you know, I always say it doesn't really matter what the job is. The job needs to get done. And if you're good at it, you do it. So if you're good at sitting on the tractor all day, then that's the job you take. If you're the one that is good at preparing a meal, it doesn't matter if you're 
the male influence in the house or the female influence in the house. Every, every job needs to get done. And we look at that in our kind of in our family as if we want to have family time together, we all need to do farm work together. And then that entails mom leaving to go to a board meeting or two, or in today's case, just finding a quiet corner in the house in order to, to be able to facilitate that. So I guess basically my look on it is that we're building the future for the next generation. That's, that's where we're going with it. So. Yeah. So I think I echo a lot of what Alicia said, actually, aside from I've been on the first real ag board I was on was the Kings County Federation of Agriculture, but I've been on it for about four years. And I think that it's been fairly equal male to female the entire time I've been on that board. But definitely, I think when you go to like a farm meeting or a commodity meeting, that's where you kind of see the, the differences in the ratios. Both Carolyn and Alicia said it's definitely changing. And I think every time I go to a meeting, there's more females in the room, which is great. But also I have three sons and much the same as Alicia with her daughters. They're seeing me do everything. I'm in a tractor now, you know, in a board meeting tomorrow type thing. So they're really seeing females already in taking leadership and hopefully that will be the norm for them as they grow into whatever career they choose. Can I just piggyback on Amy for a second? I think it was really important that your comment, Amy, about having the males that you're bringing up seeing you in this role. I mean, we laugh around the house all the time because there isn't a boy job or a girl job. There's just jobs and <laughs> whatever they are, they get done. Obviously, there's some things that girls may do better than boys or boys better than girls, and, but it's not necessarily the job. It's just what they've chosen to excel at. I appreciate those comments as well. It's obviously a little bit different in the office setting, but as I grew up in agriculture on the farm, it was like, this is what age you are and what your capability is, and then this is the job that needs to get done. And like, there was really no consideration given to what the gender was it was like that was the job that you were going to learn to do I've always said the only thing I didn't do on the firm um, I didn't learn to run a chainsaw and dad was like you're gonna run a chainsaw I need to get a smaller chainsaw for you it's just based on pure size and if you do that you can't just learn to do it to say you can do it you actually have to go to the woods then and then I was like hmm okay, no, I think that I'm, I don't need to learn to run the chainsaw because I didn't really want to go to the woods, but everything else, you know, you just did it, whether you're driving tractors or in the barn, uh, welding, whatever it was, those pieces, you just, you tackled what you had interest in too, to learn more about, but I will say that I did shy away. I, I didn't really want to go to the woods. So that would be the one aspect that I didn't jump into, but I appreciate that recognizing that on the farm, right? It's about abilities and, and we're there as farm families working together. So how do we get things done? Yeah. And to even echo that, I think I grew up a little bit uniquely in that the farm that I was involved in growing up was my grandmother's farm and it was run by my aunts and my grandmother. So I grew up seeing women doing all these things and they hired a man to help. And, you know, I really took that for granted until I was out doing all of these things myself. And then it kind of got more intimidating, like, oh, this isn't what the real world is like. But for me, now having that influence in my life, I think that's pushed me into a lot of roles that I may not have taken otherwise. In upcoming events, the Nova Scotia Federation of Agriculture is holding their annual meeting on November 25th, offered as both in-person intro and virtually. More information can be found at nsfa-fane.ca forward slash AGM. The Maritime Beef Testing Society's annual meeting will occur virtually November 23rd at 7.30 p.m. 
please register at maritimebeeftteststation.ca. Nova Scotia cattle producers are introducing an on-farm preconditioning pilot project later this fall where cattle preconditioning services will be available to members on-farm. Please visit nscattle.ca forward slash preconditioning for more information. In upcoming Atlantic stock yards, feeder sales, regular feeder sales occur every second Tuesday throughout the fall with the next one happening November 23rd. Please check atlanticstockyards.com for the full fall schedule. The Nova Scotia cattle producers are pleased to announce the Nova Scotia Soil Pasture and Forage Management Program. Details and application can be found at nscattle.ca. This program has an application deadline of November 30th. A reminder that there will be many Nova Scotia programs open for the 2021-2022 year, such as the Cattle and Sheep Industry Development Program. For a full list as well as application guidelines, please visit novascotia.ca forward slash programs. You know, we're kind of going to go down a little bit of rabbit here, all that family unit and, you know, the, the job that just needs to be done. You know, I, I think that's some really important messaging, especially today is everybody is equal as they should be, despite, you know, gender identity or, or race or anything else. Have you, have you ever really run across in your early careers, because you're also all young female ag leaders, in your early careers or early farm experience, anyone that's kind of added resistance that really shouldn't be there? I have, and it happens on farm for me, just with generational differences and religious differences that we have on our farm, where there's certain roles that were just kind of supposed to be that way. And maybe I didn't fit into the mold or don't fit into the mold. And it's nothing against, you know, the, my family or anything like that. It's just how they were raised, how they've always been. So I think it's almost just that systemic thinking, way of thinking that kind of trickles down, but it, it is hard. It, you know, it's hard to break through that and it's not something that you can really change. So you face it every day and you can choose to dwell on it or you can choose to just, you know, ignore it and push through and do what you need to do. I would say from my experience, maybe a little bit different than Amy. So after I graduated from the AC, I spent some time working on dairy farms as a herdsman. And I would say that I didn't actually run into any of that female barrier until I actually started working in the more office industry organization environment, which I thought was interesting. I know probably if I if I dig deep, I know there was comments made sometimes somebody would stop at the farm and I was on the tractor dad was switching hydraulics for me and somebody was like oh you're teaching your daughter how to run that and he was like wow if anyone's teaching anybody she's teaching them right and it was funny because he had the hydraulics hooked up wrong and he was fixing them for me so there were some comments like that that I would have on the farm but I didn't really feel like I actually even faced that until I started working in the office environment in the industry but for the most part I, I feel super supported and lucky to work in the industry. Well, I definitely say there's lots of support in the industry. I know here in our local area, I mean, when we moved back home and bought the farm and were, we were the ones that were making the decisions, there wasn't a whole lot of pushback from anybody. Where the pushback arose would be when there was a new salesperson came to the door. They would often, depending on what it was they were asking about, and it, to be honest, it didn't, I wouldn't say it really hurt me. But when the shoe got flipped the other way and they wanted to talk to my husband and my husband said, no, you really need to talk to her. It was kind of like a feather in the hat <laughs> situation. Like the first time it didn't, it didn't bother me, but then, then I took it the other way afterwards. And we have roles in different situations. And there's many times that the two of us will talk at the end of the day and 
we'll both have faced a similar question because that's the answer comes from the other person because that was on their to-do list that day. And that's kind of the way we roll. And at the end of the day, well, goodness, technology has helped us because I just pop a text and it's gone and it's out of my brain because that's the way we have to roll with it. But as far as having any real pushback, no, kind of a funny story though, kind of what Carolyn was saying. I had an older neighbor gentleman show up one day and they were processing calves and he needed to borrow something and he wouldn't tell me what it was. He kept asking for my father. And I said, well, no, he's not here. Turns out they were castrating calves and he couldn't talk about that in front of the female because he's an elderly gentleman. And I appreciated that he was just being truthful. And in the end, we got around it because he didn't have to say any of those words. He just worked it out and we knew what it was. So that's just generational. And you know what, in all honesty, I appreciated that he had respect for who it was he was speaking to. You know, I, I've done a little bit of work with young farmers in history, and I know, Alicia, historically, you were one of the original board members, I think, here in Nova Scotia, of the Nova Scotia Young Farmers Group back in the day. And Amy, I know you've been involved with them a little bit, and, and Carolyn, you folks manage them through the Federation. You know, I guess my question is, how do we as a farm industry, both as industry support folks like Carolyn and I, and farmers like Alicia and Amy, how do we all kind of work together to put aside or, or work towards putting aside some of those biases, whether it's age or race or gender? You know, I think Amy, you said it best, like there, there's some things that are kind of institutionalized in us and it's going to take some time to, to overcome those. But so what are some strategies or some ideas you guys have that, you know, we can work towards that, I guess? I think that, you know, it's going to take time, but it's involving the next generation. It's we're here, we're living with the older generation that didn't change anything type thing with that mindset. And we're in this crazy world right now where all of those things that you just talked about, race and gender, they're all, you know, hot topics per se, and there's real change being made. So we're the ones that are kind of pushing that and getting it down and, and hopefully it'll be easier for our children or the next generation to come along that it'll be less and less of a, of a hurdle for everyone as we, as we go on. But, you know, it's, it's something that everybody has to be involved in and these conversations have to keep going in the meantime. So I would say probably from an organizational perspective, we have just been working on a workforce development and industry capacity strategy. And I suppose at the time that this podcast will be aired, it will probably already have been shared, shared widely. So folks will have seen it. And one of the priorities that we've identified in that uh, capacity and development piece is diversity and growing in diversity and fostering an inclusive industry. And, you know, that, I mean, you're asking a loaded question to a certain degree, Brad, but, you know, some of the really important things are, you know, making sure that those underrepresented groups and equity-seeking groups are at the table for policy and decision-making, that we're looking at programming and policy with that lens of ensuring that we're looking at it from an inclusive perspective, that we're deepening our cross-cultural understanding in our community as well as a farm community and looking at opportunities to learn from from different cultures or groups, whatever it may be, then finding opportunities to celebrate those successes. You know, we need to showcase and recognize where we do have diversity, um, you know, where we do have women participating in leadership positions across the industry and making sure that we continue to celebrate those so that folks look at other people, at what opportunities exist. So I feel like there's tons of work to be done, done in that 
space. And I think that there, it's a really exciting time to start having that conversation. And I think that is one that we need to continue to Amy's point so that it just becomes part of the industry and part of our values and culture. And I think in my, in my upbringing, it was part of the culture. There was never gender differentiation on the farm growing up. There was never, he said, she said, like it, it, it just, it had to flow in order for everything to roll. It had to flow and it, and it worked. But when I look at now on an industry level, sitting on different boards and different commodity discussions or what have you, I think we have to look back to, because I say that I'm the person that I am today because of the people that were behind me all the way, you know, and, and those people were family, were friends, were neighbors, were industry relations. But my, my strongest supporter has always been my father. So he supported me all the way through and there was never a judgment against anything. And now my biggest supporter is my husband and my children. So together we support one another. And I think that's what the industry has to do. The industry just has to support each other. No matter if we're talking race, religion, gender, anything, it just, if we can support one another in what we're doing, then we're just going to strengthen those that are around us. And I think that we need to recognize, you know, we say that things that we need to do, but how much we already support each other. Like we see, you know, sure there's competition with the industry, but one of the best things I find about working in the industry is that community spirit that we have. So sure, you know, there's competitions between like who cut, who mowed first, who got their first cut in first, like that, that all exists. But at the end of the day, if somebody had, you know, their harvester broke down, the person that's finished is coming over to help them finish harvest. So we have such a strong support and community network in our industry. I think we just have to continue to grow that and realize that, that the importance of it. Well, even when I was saying with that other, that older gentleman, you know, we all look at things and we all watch that first tractor go by or that first seeder or the first mower or that last bale of hay that's going through. And you're like, well, I got my bales in before he did. So, but in the same sense, you know what, if you've been done for a week and you can do something to help somebody else out, even if all they did, if they blew a tire and you can be there to support them with that or grab a load of hay or check a cow that's calving when somebody's got family. I and mean, we, we had that exact situation. We had a family crisis a number of years ago that took us out of the country and every farmer in the neighborhood showed up to make sure that cattle were fed, tended and safe because they knew that we had to leave. So it happens. And you're right. The support that we already have needs to be shown, I guess, because we sometimes we look at things, we only look at the negative and we need to look at the positive. And there's a lot of positive in our industry right now. For sure. And for the listeners that are going to listen to most of season two, a lot of our episodes do kind of thread through the collaborative approach and working together because, you know, the sum of parts is better than any part as an individual. So in a different context here, but I think a very interesting point that is made, and I think we can all strive to work towards. I think all of you have kind of commented about how supportive your friends and your family have been in your life. Is there anybody you've looked up to, you know, specifically a female in the egg industry, either you know, as you were progressing, or maybe somebody that you kind of look at out there now in, in a leadership role in the industry and go, wow, they got it together. And I, I like what they're doing. I think it's kind of, for me, I don't really look at someone necessarily who's maybe at the top, you know, or 
somebody I don't know personally, it's, it is still back to that family connection. You know, like I said about my grandmother, my grandfather passed away and there was never a conversation that was, do we keep farming? She just did. You know, she had two kids, one in high school, one in university and three adult children and they just carried on and did it and I think my family would tell you I take a lot after her but you know just looking at her and what she accomplished kind of gives you a little bit of that pride and that you carry that with you but also just my peer group you know I my best friend and I are very similar we're both involved in things and I look to her for inspiration and advice and I guess that kind of camaraderie that you kind of need you need somebody who understands what you're going through or has been there themselves so it's more that peer network for me than than a role model per se right now anyway yeah you need to have somebody standing in your corner I kind of as Amy alluded to with her grandmother I I always look at that my, my grandmother never grew up on a farm this one that I'm talking about in specifics and she was probably this one of the strongest women I know again, outlived a husband, raised young children, and just marched forward with what she had to do at the time, because that was what was given to her. And she just took it and went, but it's the peer groups, it's the people before you. One of my biggest influences, part of it is my children, because I want my children to see what it is when they set their mind to something that they can do it. Mom did it, dad did it, Papa did it, Happy did it, whoever, any of their grandparents, whomever, it doesn't matter that they see somebody that's sticking to something because their heart is really into it, then that's where you go. I mean, I, I also look at my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law, she sat on a lot of these boards previous to, and many times coming through my, like my father never really sat on, on many boards outside of the County, but my mother-in-law certainly did. So many times as I'm coming up through some of these ranks and they hear King and they hear cattle. They instantly think that I am her daughter, which, you know what, I take pride in the fact that, that that's where it's coming from. So there's lots of people, but I think it's just that whole support system and seeing what can be done. And, you know, it doesn't even need to be somebody within agriculture. Your, your role model can be outside of that. It's just seeing that you're doing what you want to do and loving what you're doing. And that's what makes it roll. Here is the market report for the week ended November 12, 2021, brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards, which has been Atlantic Canada's primary auction mark for more than 60 years. In the local hog market, base price in Nova Scotia was $1.85 per kilogram, down 5.1 cents from last week. In Ontario, base price was down 5.1 cents from last week to $1.76 per kilogram. In the Quebec market, base price was $1.96, no change from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle price Atlantic beef products was a $2.63 on the rail. In Ontario, live steers sold for $1.54, moving down one cent from last week. And in Quebec, rail price was $2.67, up one cent from last week. Call cattle Atlantic stock air sold for $0.74 cents, an upward change of nine cents for last week, while rail price Atlantic beef products remains at $1.36. Calls in Ontario average $0.61, cents, no change from the prior week, and $0.63 cents in Quebec, moving up three cents. Good dairy bob calves between 90 and 120 pounds on Atlantic Stockyards average $71, up $5. And good dairy beef bob calves average $185, down $12 from last week. Meanwhile, calves in Ontario were down $0.13 cents to a base price of $1.23 per pound. And calves in Quebec were flat at $1.08 per pound. Base price for lambs at Northumberland is $10.90 per kilogram and mutton sits at $6 per, per kilogram. 
50 to 64 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average 218 per pound at 55 pounds, range from $1.70 to 265. In Ontario, 50 to 64 pound lambs average 297 per pound at 60 pounds, range from 205 to 337 and a half. For 65 to 79 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards, they average $1.60 per pound at 77 pounds. In Ontario, 65 to 79 pound lambs average 272 per pound at 74 pounds, ranging from 207.5 to 338. Used at Atlantic Stockyards range from $25 to $295, averaging $107. And Ontario used average $1.89 at 146 pounds and range from $1 to $2.43. Make sure you check the association websites for additional pricing information. So looking a little bit into to the future, I, I know we've been talking a little bit about the role women have played in both the farm side and the organizational side. And we've talked about how we work together more collaboratively and more inclusively. Just wondering if we can get a couple more thoughts about specifically how we do that and how we achieve that, you know, as an industry, maybe not quite as high as a societal level, because I don't think that's a problem we're going to solve here in the next five or 10 minutes, but as an industry, how do we make sure that we do that as an organization, as individual farmers and, and individuals just working within the industry? I think that to like support women moving into industry or, or becoming more involved is just being more open and having more supports, you know, things like I'm a huge advocate for childcare. Agriculture doesn't have a childcare. We're rural, we're, you know, well, Nova Scotia really totally doesn't have that much childcare, but you know, it's, it's a huge issue. And even for, for women to be involved, if they're on farm to have childcare for a couple of hours to go to a meeting or better yet have childcare at a meeting, it's things like that. And I think that I know for me was a huge hurdle to be involved in things was just being able to have childcare, to travel to Truro for a meeting or, you know, even just an evening thing. So for me, thinking ahead, you know, we just have to be more open and accept more of those realities that women face, kind of that those second shift duties that uh, that hold some of us back. Carolyn, I'm going to get you to jump in there because when, when Amy brought up the idea of childcare, you kind of raised your finger and said, yes, I agree with that. So, you know, as the biggest farm organization, how does your organization and organizations like mine help foster that? Yeah, and you know, it's, it's a tough one whenever we're looking at individual pieces, but I would say we've seen challenges through the pandemic with childcare, and, and we've seen that some of the women falling into more traditional roles, again, like that exists, there's statistics, there's studies that show it across industries, not just in agriculture. So even like one thing, for example, we've moved a lot to virtual and we've actually seen an increase in participation and, you know, making efforts like if you have an in-person meeting that runs 10 to 2, because, you know, that's what we're notorious for having 10 to 2 meetings um, to fit, you know, between chores and whatnot. But if you have that plus travel on top of that for somebody like Amy to come to Truro, that's a challenge. But now offering the virtual option, I think is, is a good way that allows women traditionally to participate or, or anybody with a family. But the second piece, so we've been talking, you know, as staff within an organization, what can we do to support childcare? So for example, we do have folks that have come with like young children to our office and participate in meetings. Alicia's hands up. Pre-COVID, we actually had like toys and whatnot that Jeanette had brought in from her kids to have for young kids that had come to the office. But we've been chatting right now. Our annual meeting is a two day event. That's a significant time to be away from the farm. Through our programming, we run like progressive egg safety days. Some of the meet your farmer activities are focused for children. So is there something we can do at our annual meeting to run a mini egg type event for children along with our annual meeting so families can come? 
So at the time we're listening to this, this might be past our annual meeting and we'll actually know whether or not we were able to bring that to fruition. But those are some of the conversations that we're having. Like, how can we do that effectively to make some of the work that we do more inclusive? And particularly our annual meeting is, is a large event that we're looking at right now. So what opportunities exist there to support that? Be interested to see what Alicia and Amy think about that as, as an option to, to help make that more accessible for everybody to participate. Well, as somebody that has gone through the young child era, Brad's desk was always a really good coloring desk. I'll be honest. My kids still talk about that. So also, I'm a firm believer that big kids help little kids. And I had no idea about what Carolyn was discussing. But I mean, I look at that and I think that's such a great opportunity for those senior 4-H members or older children within the different commodity groups. They already know so much about it and they can can adjust so quick. And, you know, a lot of times to just interact with the younger age group is so important. It's a huge developmental thing that the older children need to do, but the younger children need to see it too, because they look up to the older kids. The adults are just kind of boring, right? So... I think that that's a really fantastic idea. That's where I look at it. I see we have such a fantastic 4-H program here in Nova Scotia, minus COVID. And, you know, when you go to provincial show and you see all those big kids helping those little kids all the way through it, I think that's something that you could kind of take and run with, Carolyn, as far as the AGM is concerned. But even anything, like I, I look at all the support that I had along the way, because I did take my kids everywhere I went. They might have been tucked back in the corner. They might have been, you know, sitting underneath a desk because that's where they chose to color that day. And to know that everybody in the room was supportive of that, they were, you know, they were told to be quiet and they were, they were asked to sit still if they could or whatever, or out in the hallway, or maybe they were with somebody in the hotel room. They were never usually very far away because like Amy said, finding that permanent childcare is really difficult. So, you know, just the support within the room to know that everybody is paying attention, even though there's somebody in the corner, in a happy corner. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, it, it's all it's all part about building that next generation too, right? So, you know, we've got a, a lady on our sheep board who has, oh geez, their baby's probably, I don't even know, six or eight months old at this point, brought them to the board meetings and, you know, probably a little too early for them to remember. But when Alicia was bringing Michaela to sit in my office and, and color, well, that's not the only reason she brought her, but, you know, <laughs> but exposing them to the industry as well, I think at a young age, especially those positive interactions with other farmers or other farm families or, or farm organizations, I think can really help foster their involvement as well. Yeah. And it never hurts to have a good meal because that's what my kids always go back to. It is important. And, and you're right. I think it develops them into good people for that next generation, because they're seeing all of this stuff that's going on. And it's not foreign to them either. It's the same as being exposed to anything on the farm, right? If they're exposed to mom being out in the baler all day, well, then that's not a foreign thought to them. So, you know, I think there's a lot to be said about generational. And I think the whole of this discussion in this podcast has been support. The support system that people have in place is what makes things tick and what makes things grow. I've also learned, so I don't have children myself, but I have learned if you are serving children pizza, you must have garlic fingers because if you do not, it will be on the evaluation form from the kids at the end of the day. So that is a lesson learned for anybody out there without children planning youth events for agriculture. If you have pizza, make sure you also have garlic fingers. 
We're getting close to wrapping up. Is there anything that we've missed that you'd like to highlight? You know, we need to look at things. If it's something you're passionate about, you have the skills to do, you believe you can do it, you feel like you can make a contribution, then take it on and participate and get involved and share what those barriers are. If there's a reason that you're feeling you're not able to participate, like let the group or organization, whoever it is, know what that barrier is and see if there's opportunities to create that support network. Yeah. If you're interested, passionate, you have the skill, I say, take it on. And if you're a little bit nervous, that makes it even better because it really takes you to the next level. I agree with all of that. And like Carolyn said, like it's knowing that you have those people that, you know, I've emailed Carolyn before about things and said, look, I can't do this or I have this issue or can we talk about this? And knowing that there is someone there like the NSFA that will listen to it. And if they can help, they will. And if they can't, they'll try, you know, it, there's someone there who can reach out to you and, and can walk you through it. And I like what Alicia said as well. I always say that you kind of have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable because it's those moments that you grow the most, at least in my experience, it has been to just kind of put yourself out there. If you feel passionate about something, even if the confidence isn't there, it'll come and you know, you never know where you'll find yourself. So definitely go for it. Yeah. Because the passion is what's going to take you to the next level. Well, with that folks, I definitely want to thank all of you for joining us today. I know Alicia is going to be on at least one other episode with us uh, as well in season two, and then hopefully we can get Carolyn and, and Amy to join us on a couple of other different topics as well. Thank you very much for taking this time out of your afternoon and forward to chatting with you again. Thanks, Brad. Take care. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime AgCast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of archesaudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes.